Happy Monday, and welcome to episode 19 of the Sneak Preview, our podcast that follows the current film release calendar. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Caleb Leger. And today we're taking a look at the latest collaboration between director Guy Ritchie and action star Jason Statham, Wrath of Man. Considering neither of us saw here today or mainstream, today's conversation is going to be almost entirely on Ritchie and Statham, so buckle up. But before we get into it, let's take a look at what happened last week in film. Last week in film. The second trailer for A Quiet Place Part 2 was released. The film is finally set for release on May 28th after a lengthy postponement due to the pandemic. I'm so glad we finally have a second trailer because I got fucking tired of that first trailer. Two years I've been seeing that trailer. I'm like that with all the trailers for the movies that got delayed. Like, I understand the for the longest time I had no idea when this shit was going to come out. But, God, like, every single, like, that Fast and Furious 9 trailer they kept playing and the Quiet Place Part 2 trailer we're talking, talking about that they kept playing, it was like, please, just make a new trailer because I'm tired of seeing the same one. I'm, I mean, you know, we, we obviously have a, we're going to do a sneak preview on A Quiet Place 2 that's going to happen. But, I'm, I don't know if I'm excited. I wasn't that big a fan of the first film. I thought it was kind of gimmicky. Um, but, you know, maybe the second one will improve on that. So, I, I'm excited. I was a fan of the first film. I liked its gimmick. I was personally fine with that, them not revealing much. But I'm always a fan of, like, not revealing much in horror. makes it scarier. Um, so we'll see how – I know they're going to kind of explain a little bit of the origins of this. And we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I also know that it's confirmed the Quiet Place Part 3 is already in the works. So it's like, it's scaring me. I know this one has John Krasinski still attached. The upcoming one does not. So well, I'm getting worried, worried if this is going to slowly be the beginning of a money-making machine and less of a franchise. Well, considering uh, Krasinski and Blunt are currently suing, uh, I think, Paramount for... Uh, like additional compensation because the theater release has been limited. Uh, I, I'm anticipating some bad blood probably for part three. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but on the plus side, you know, that frees them up to be the fan favorites for the fantastic four. So. <laughs> I didn't even know they were fan favorites for fantastic four. Yeah. There's been, like from, so many people have been like campaigning for them to put for Krasinski to play Mr. Fantastic and for Emily Blunt to play Invisible Woman. Like, I'd be okay with that. I like both of them personally. Yeah. So. I think that's a great idea. I don't know, you know, I think I'm sure they've heard about it by now, and there has been rumors that they've been talking to Marvel, but you know, we'll see. Yeah, we will. You know, sometimes those rumors turn to you know, truths like when there was rumors that Ryan Reynolds was talking to Marvel about Deadpool 3 and. Now we have confirmation that it's radar. So he was clearly talking to him. Yes, he was. Marvel. Yeah. And Krasinski was in on the short list to play Captain America back in the day. So Marvel's had their eye on him for a while. That's true. And as we've learned at Marvel, if they have their eye on you, they don't let you go unless DC gets you. Before and even then, do. like they'll probably still get you. Yeah, they'll probably be waiting. Like, look, it's 50-50 if you stay with DC anyway. So we'll just, we'll be on standby. Lawrence Fishburne was Perry White, but then, you know, it all fell apart. Now he's Bill Foster. So <laughs> things, you know, sometimes work out. Yeah. 
Um, Steven Spielberg's developing biographical film about his own childhood is now titled The Fablemans. It'll star Michelle Williams, Seth Rogen, and Paul Dano thus far. It's set for a 2022 release. And while this screams of self-indulgence, I don't care. Spielberg's, you know, he's earned it. <laughs> yeah, it does. It screams of self-indulgence, but yeah, like you said, Spielberg, it was really like a matter of time before he gets some kind of biography on him, if we're being like serious. But it is weird to direct your own biopic. Uh, yeah, that <laughs> one could say is pretentious. Yeah, like, is there going to be any edge to this movie at all? <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, Hannah John Kamen, known for her role as Ghost in Ant-Man and the Wasp and Finale in Ready Player One, has been cast as the lead in the long-awaited Red Sonja movie, which has been in production for like 20 years now. Uh, it was Rose McGowan for the longest time back when Rodriguez was going to do it, but that ship sailed. And back uh, when they were like a thing together in personal life. Remember that? Ugh. And uh, yeah, Red Sonja. I I don't know anything about this beyond the fact that they've been trying to make it for a long time. And uh, maybe they'll get it right this time. Uh, They they can keep announcing names, but it's been talked about for so long that I'm not remotely going to put any, any, anything into this fucking new casting announcement. There are so many movies on the horizon that I'm only going to watch because of this podcast. <laughs> like there's it's the only reason I would I would even try. <laughs> yeah. Like I did not want to watch the live action Tom and Jerry reboot they did. I I could have cared less, but it was it was going to be a topic of discussion, so I had I had to talk about it. So I had to watch yeah. it. Yeah. I'm thinking about when, you know, because we've been talking about you know another potential show, the movies I'm going to sit through just for that. Oh, that I would never sit through any other day of the week of my life. The list of potentials for that is staggeringly bad. Like I'm typing on the computer that list, but the list reeks. I don't know how that's possible, but there's a smell. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh no! So yeah, I I, I feel you. It's. Those times when I'm saying like, oh, I'm going to watch that for the podcast, aren't I? Fuck. <laughs> well, I like to think that there's at least one good movie that comes out every week, whether it's, you know, theaters, Netflix, Hulu, HBO, whatever. Mm-hmm. Not every movie is a masterpiece, but there's got to be something there that's good to, you know, focus the episode around that's a decent conversation piece, at least. Yeah. No. Uh, I'm with you. Um, Netflix has announced an adaptation of Jane Austen's novel Persuasion, which will star Dakota Johnson and Henry Golding, and it's set in the modern day. Uh, <laughs> I don't really have much to say about that. Um, thumbs up right now because that's about all I can give you because I know nothing about this novel. So I saw Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, and that's that's all I got with Jane Austen. I've never read her work. I've never watched the movies. My mom's a huge fan and has been pushing that shit on me my entire life. <laughs> I have not yet caved. <laughs> Good. That's the principle of the matter at this point. <laughs> she has like six different copies of Pride and Prejudice. Like she just keeps buying like different versions of it. She has all of her books. Her favorite movie is the 2006 Pride and Prejudice. Like it is, it's a sickness. Oh, God. <laughs> I have not 
the only I haven't seen any of the movies, but uh, I did read Pride. I did read Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yeah. I've not seen the movie version. I have read the book though. I've seen the movie and I haven't read the book. Uh, it's I can't. I don't know if it's like if is is it faithful? I don't like because I don't know Pride and Prejudice, so I don't know like what is what's the gag here. Where does the parody end and the real thing begin? I don't know. <laughs> I think it, like it follows the basic plot of Pride and Prejudice, just throws zombies into it. Well, they're like the girls are trained for combat. I'm fairly certain that didn't happen in, in the original book. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know. Persuasion is, you know, all of Jane Austen's books are basically about a strong, independent woman who falls in love in her own time, which is cool. That's great. Yeah. She did write. I, no, I, I, I haven't read it, so I can't say that she wrote the same book like six times but i will think it <laughs> oh i have also seen emma never mind so i forgot about that one yeah my mom wanted to see it i went with her <laughs> I, i'm not judging you <laughs> i thought it was actually kind of cute emma 2021 with anya taylor joy i thought that was actually quite entertaining that's a comedy anya taylor joy yeah she plays emma woodhouse that's on my list now She's a uh, busybody who loves to interfere in her friends' love lives, but never finds love herself until she meets this charming young lord. It's all pretty similar. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll, no, you know what? I got other things that I watched <laughs> on my list of movies. Yeah. Um, Couple sad notes. Uh, character actor Frank McCree has died at 80 years old following a heart attack. McCree was known for his role as Sharky in License to Kill, as well as his appearances in films such as Vacation, Used Cars, Rocky II, Norma Ray, Red Dawn, Last Action Hero, and 1941, just to name a few. So this guy was peppered throughout the 80s and 90s of just random films. And I remember Sharky in License to Kill. I like Sharky. Yeah, and, uh, I, I recall Sharky. I don't recall that this actor too much, but it, it's it's sad. It's always sad when you hear news like this. He was a bit part guy who was just kind of around. Sharky mm. was kind of his biggest role. And, uh, you know, anybody who assists James Bond is a badass. And he unfortunately got killed in that movie because he pissed off the wrong Colombian drug lord. Really? Anyone who assists James Bond? Even the uh, sheriff dude? The one I, I hate. I, I will not. He did not assist James Bond. He horned in on James Bond's adventure. Okay. That's what <laughs> Sheriff J.W. Pepper was God. just trying to catch black people in Louisiana in Live and Let Die. And then he happens to be on vacation in Japan in The Man with the Golden Gun and just kind of follows Bond around. He did not need to be there. So, no. <laughs> what I hate is that you latched on. You, what I hate is that you latched on to how much that character was bugging me. <laughs> And would not would not leave me alone for two whole movies, <laughs> and those are two hour movies. They are long movies, and he is a significant chunk of both of those movies. It's it's rough. It's unfortunate, but uh, yeah, he you know most of James Bond's partners throughout the years have been pretty badass. Yeah, except for Sheriff J W Peppa. Got it. Who? It, for Live and Let Die Alone, who writes that script and includes that fucker and then thinks that was a good idea, but then who brings him back? <laughs> White dudes in the 70s. 
Oh, but these are British uh, dudes writing these. Like, you'd think they'd have more class. Or is that just how they see Americans? Probably both. Fuck. I just realized that. That guy's supposed to represent America. Oh. Well, rest in peace, Frank McCree. I'm glad you weren't in that one movie. Uh, next up, actress and model Tawny Katane has died at 59 from undisclosed reasons. Katane is best known for her roles in the White Snake music videos for Still of the Night and Here I Go Again, as well as for being the model on Rat's album cover out of the cellar. She also has a prominent role in 1984's Bachelor Party. And this was a big shock. You know, 59 is fairly young. Uh, cause of death has not yet been announced. Uh, I bet it's, pro- you know, I just assume probably maybe an overdose. I would, in correlation to other deaths like this, mm. when they're not revealing why immediately and they have a history in the rock metal business, tends to come out and end up being an overdose. Overdose or like a heart attack or stroke related to, you know, drug use, something. Yeah, that, that's, that's, what what, yeah that's what I've noticed when they're like, we're not going to reveal it. And then you find out that they've had like a history in the rock. I'm sure just because there's a lot of rock my musicians that didn't get their autopsies immediately put out, and then like, oh yeah, it was an overdose. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I've I've seen clips of those music videos. She's hot. Those are cool songs. Uh, Here I go again on my own. Bitch, who doesn't rock out to that song? And then I didn't know she was on the the Rat album cover. I uh, I didn't know that, so that's that's pretty cool. Not that either, because I don't really keep up with rat. <laughs> my uh, my aunt in the '90s went to a rat poison concert because rat and poison were playing together, so they built it as a rat poison concert. <laughs> She's yeah, she said it was fun. God, I God, the names for some '80s bands, man. My dad had an album from a band called Cinderella, and he would. Swear by how good that album was. I was like, I doubt it's any good. I know Cinderella. Yeah, they're not. They're not great. No. My cousin, um, his girlfriend's dad gave him a shit ton of '80s vinyl, like metal vinyl. He's got like the complete Kiss, Dokken, Priest, like crazy good shit. I was jealous as hell. I mean, not for the Dokken, but I want you know Kiss. I'm a fan. Dokken has one good song. Is it Breaking the Chains? No. Okay, me too. What's what's your good song? Are you? I don't know, Dokken. The one that was on Nightmare on Elm Street. Dream Warriors. How would I know that? Because I would assume you've seen Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. It's yeah, the but I don't remember thinking like, song. oh, wow, badass Dokken song this <gasps> film's got. I don't remember thinking that. It's been like six, seven, eight years since I saw that movie. I don't remember that. Who are you right now? I remember something about a TV and like primetime bitch, but that's all I got. I don't remember anything else. It was a whole music video release. It's on the special features of the Blu-ray. I have it on my phone. I don't have. Why do you have it on your phone? The song's on my phone. Oh, I think you meant the music video. (laughs) Like that's, you just pop that out from time to time. I might. (laughs) I don't know. I gotta, you know, I gotta refresh my. I, I remember the first one vividly, but two through Freddy's Dead, I, I vaguely remember. 
All right. The homework I want to give you is to at least listen to Dream Warriors by Dokken and tell me you don't want to rock out to that song. Okay. I will I will I'll give you the Dokken. I'll I'll go ahead and check okay. that out when we're done here. It, it is up there with the uh, Alice Cooper's Man Behind the Mask, in my opinion. I I haven't heard that either. <laughs> okay, do that one after Dawkin. <laughs> he did it for Friday the 13th, specifically part six. I love that you're like treating this like it's common knowledge. Like, I, I don't know anybody but you who would know that off the top of their head. Maybe Josh. <laughs> I don't it, should be common know. Knowledge. it should be common knowledge. I don't know the hit singles that horror movies had in the 80s. I, I don't, that's not just, you know, background shit for me. I don't know that. <laughs> oh my God. Dream Warriors by Dokken. Man Behind the Mask by Alice Cooper. That's okay. what I got. I will check those out. Oh, finally. Marvel released a sizzle reel of their upcoming projects revealing the release dates of their phase four projects and some new titles. Black Panther two is called Black Panther Wakanda forever. And Captain Marvel two is called the Marvels. Both are set for a 2022 release alongside Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness and Thor love and thunder. 2022 is going to be fucking lit up. (laughs) Very excited. Yeah. And you're forgetting the little tease we got at the very end of that scissor reel. When they did the four, mm. Fantastic Four, and you know what's funny? A lot of people are like, is that for Fantastic Four to say it's phase four? And I'm like, it's it's coming after they showed you all the other titles. What do you think? Well, a couple, like a few months ago, Disney, like Disney released their kind of slate of everything that they're doing for the next like five years. And Fantastic Four was revealed there. So it wasn't too much of a surprise. It was cool to see. But I, we all did know the Fantastic Four was coming. Well, I did not because of reasons. Oh, well, 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 they are. They're coming. I was, <laughs> and, I was on a deployment, so I did not know. <laughs> but I emailed you and told you, like, these are the, this oh, is the slate. And shit, I, I listed Fantastic Four. <laughs> you did. Oh, shit. Okay, well, I the way... <laughs> I worked very hard to keep you in the loop. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I I like the title to uh, Black Panther 2, or Wakanda Forever. It's obviously very fitting in a uh, tribute to uh, Chadwick Boseman. Um, so it's, I do, and I do like it. Um, I don't know how I feel about the title to Captain Marvel 2. Um, I, I got to find, I, I'll wait till they give us more details on the movie. But right now, it's, just, it's a weird title. Well, it sounds like a kind of like a sitcom. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, as I wasn't too hot on the first Captain Marvel. I think it's one of their weakest films they've done. Oh, I remember. I remember that review. Yeah. But in the past, you know, in like two years later, I've come to kind of realize that yeah, it's, I have not gone back to Captain Marvel. It's it's a fairly weak film. Mm. Um. But this one, the reason they're calling it the Marvels is because it's introducing Miss Marvel, uh, their first uh, Muslim superhero. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be a bit kind of like half her story, half Captain Marvel sequel. So I get why they're calling it the Marvels. And then she's getting her own Disney Plus show soon after that. Okay, that makes more sense now. But that kind of, again, kind of almost reinforces my review, not to be like a dick or anything, that apparently Captain Marvel proved to not hold enough of an entire movie on us. So they're like, let's just put it with another Marvel character we're introducing and call it the Marvels. Well, Captain Marvel, as we saw in an Endgame, is pretty damn powerful. Um, it's hard to really kind of raise the stakes with a character like that around. No, I mean, she, you know, he- Thanos headbutted her with a full gauntlet and she didn't fucking blink. It's hard to hard to fight that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they got to create some kind of other emotional stakes. True. Uh, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'm, look, I'm always going to see it. Miguel is whatever you think of the Pirate film. I'm always going to watch the next one just because it's Marvel. I love the Marvel movies. Um, I'm excited for what they got next year. Um, the upcoming Ant-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Yeah. Cannot wait. Seeing that footage of the Eternals finally. That was nice. It was cool. It's going to be cool. Um, this didn't happen at this sizzle reel, but I remember the announcement back when they announced Ant-Man 3, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, as it's called, uh, where they announced the villain's going to be Kang the Conqueror. <laughs> and that is going to be a fucking game changer. So we got a time-traveling warlord now who's going to be, you know, conquering all of existence. So... That's an Avengers level threat. So here's yeah. you know, Kang's coming, and the guy from Lovecraft Country is going to play him. Oh, 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 I need to see Lovecraft Country. Uh, no, it's really cool because you got definitely like now that I've seen like uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier and WandaVision, you can see like this is going to be a really fun phase, I think, with Marvel, and that we're going to get a healthy dose of like their so grounded stuff, like what we're getting with Shang-Chi, the upcoming Shang-Chi, and Black Widow. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that looks awesome. But also, like, fantastical, like, cosmic shit with this upcoming third Ant-Man, the Doctor Strange movie, uh, and then whatever else they have, you know, playing up after that with those movies. Like, it's going to be, to me, a very wild and entertaining phase. I'm, I'm just so excited to see what they do. Well, they got, you know, kind of, they got fuck you money with Avengers Endgame. And now it's just, they're just experimenting. They're doing whatever the hell they feel like trying out at this point they've they've gotten to that point where they can start you know really experimenting with crazy shit i'm, I'm excited to see what they do uh like team ups and multiverse shit like this is this is gonna be sweet <laughs> yeah it's it's almost like it's getting to a point where it's almost like as much as i enjoy watching the early ones like iron man and captain america they seem so quaint now <laughs> compared to what doing. <laughs> like, it's the first avengers i can't like it's just, it's good, but now I know what they're capable of. So it is hard to go back to the first phase. Yeah. <laughs> Even to an extent, the second phase, because the second phase was very much like start off with a rigged, like it has to be this Marvel way. And I don't think they really, they didn't really start to change until that the Captain America Winter Soldier came out. You kind of saw them go, all right, let's experiment a little bit. Let's play with this. To me, the movie that changed the Marvel Universe forever was Guardians of the Galaxy. That movie showed just how crazy they can get and still rake in billions. And I think if they hadn't done that, they never would have gone as far as they did with, you know, time travel and Thanos and the Infinity War and just all that. I don't think it would have happened without the Guardians. 
I don't think we would have had like full Ragnarok without Guardians 3. No, not at all. Or Guardians, sorry, I've said three because I'm looking forward to three, but Guardians. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think they would have experimented. I think that, yeah, because that was the movie that everyone thought was going to bomb. Yeah. And I thought like, really? You're going to do this model? Okay. And it'll be becoming one of the best Marvel films in their entire catalog. It's a top five or ten. It's in there. It's like the one of the top films for me. You're going to do a movie with a talking raccoon, a talking tree, the schlubby guy from Parks and Rec, and you're going to give the guy who did Slither the reins to this thing? Fuck yeah, you are, and you're going to get a billion-dollar gross. Because <laughs> it all worked. <laughs> How many careers did that movie start? Like, good God. You want to pay Vin Diesel to say three lines of dialogue? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Uh, I love where Marvel's at. I think Thor: Love and Thunder is going to be wacky as fuck. I mean, Russell Crowe came out and said he's playing Zeus. I'm fairly certain he was not supposed to say that, but now we know. <laughs> he's probably the only person that's not going to silence because they heard about the whole thing he did to the producer. So, like, just let him say it. It's fine. We don't need him threatening us anytime soon. <laughs> Another guy who left DC and Marvel scooped up. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I and I I was excited with the new Thor when I weirdly enough saw that Natalie Portman was coming back. Not because I particularly really liked her character all that much, um, but the fact that I know she wasn't really down with this series and she because of it was obviously absent for the third movie. But what was it about this script and Taika Watiti that convinced her to come back happily? Like she hasn't been dogging it or anything she's been very happy to be back so it's like i that's when i got curious was like okay what about this script in this movie got someone that was adamant about getting the fuck out of this to come back and be happy about it well she gets to be thor like they're doing the lady thor story and i just hope you know i always thought that the first the, the worst part about the first two thor movies was the human thing like that whole story i thought was weak all the human characters. So I'm hoping that they didn't like Marvel didn't force that in the Taika's script, but we'll see. I'm, I'm confident that he's going to deliver a fantastic Thor movie because he has already. Yeah, no, I have all the faith. Like he has yet knock on wood has yet to give me a bad f- a film. I love what we do in the shadows. Love Jojo rabbit. Love Thor Ragnarok. Like he hasn't given me something I've hated. I've loved everything he's done. Yeah. Yeah. Right here. He's, he's the man. So yeah, phase four of Marvel looking sweet. Uh, I can't wait. Yeah. Even phase five. I know all we know about phase five is Blade, but I'm fucking excited to see what they do with Blade. Well, we know Blade. We know the Fantastic Four. And Smart Money says we're probably at that point introducing the X-Men, I would bet. That seems like a good place for that. Yeah, but they've been even more quiet about X-Men than Fantastic Four. Like, they've been pretty open that, like, yeah, which I get, because secondly, Fantastic Four between the two franchises needs, probably, to me, deserves to get that redemption. Yeah. X-Men had a good run with Fox for the most part. Fantastic Four did not at all. No. Fantastic Four is an abused child that needs some love. <laughs> and it's home. It finally is home with with the you know it's 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 family people who love it 
So now it's going to get nurtured and become the movie we know it's capable of being. So, yeah, I'm very happy the Fantastic Four are home. Yeah, and all it took was Marvel getting tired of Fox telling them no and saying, then we're going to buy your entire company. I'm going to look up real quick how much that cost. Like $71.3 billion acquisition. God damn. All to get get X-Men and Fantastic Four because they kept telling them no. And Disney said, all right. I can't comprehend that amount of money of anything. 71.3 billion. That's it's just, to me, I can't comprehend that. Like, how can you have as a company that much money where someone's like, no, you're not getting this? And you just go, okay. All right, so we're gonna buy you and everything you own because you won't give us this. Well, wait, let's let's talk. Nope, too late. Should have fucking said yes, you know, 10 years ago, you jackasses. Now we're just gonna take it. I bet that acquisition made Sony fucking blink at this game of chicken it's been playing with Marvel for God knows how long. Oh, yeah. It, well, it's, it's interesting that, like, that happened and then Sony attempted again to fuck with Marvel on the deal. And you know there's someone higher up that was like, what, what are you doing? You saw what they did. You saw what they did. Go talk to them. As, as much as I think Disney is really edging on those Monopoly laws... I, I do kind of want them to take Sony just so we can stop this shit. It's uh it's getting so when I heard like they were like we might pull out and I'm like what wait you still got a third Spider-Man you dicks what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, well this whole like trying to make their own franchise out of Spider-Man's villains this ve- Venom experiment that sadly worked this Craven movie they keep talking about Morbius like just shut up and play ball like everybody yeah. wins if you just play ball. Like to me if you can keep making the into the Spider-Verse movies. I'm fine with that because I really like that. Yeah. But like, yeah, like Venom mainly worked for me because of Tom Hardy. It wasn't particularly like around him. Not the best movie. Fair enough. He was good, but not the best movie around him. So it's like, I don't know what you're trying because your one attempt I've seen. I know the pandemic slowed down the next two attempts we have because I know there's a Venom sequel in the Morbius movie. But it's like, what I've seen, I haven't been like, oh my god, I need this. I need this separate universe of Spider-Man villains. I can't ever mention Spider-Man, apparently. Well, until Morbius, apparently, which has a big fat Spider-Man like graffiti on the side on a on a sidewalk, and then fucking Vulture in the in the trailer. So clearly, there's a connection. Just how deep does that connection go? Or it's gonna be a while till we find that out. Probably a while because Sony is going to keep trying to fucking figure out if they, what they can and can't do. And Disney's going to be constantly being like, you can't do that. Stop doing that. I feel like it's Sony who's calling the shots here, or at least they think, you know, it's, they think they're in charge. It's, it's Bane in the Dark Knight Rises, you know, caressing Ben Mendelssohn's neck. Like, he, you know, Sony thinks they're in charge, but Disney's going to snap their fucking neck as soon as they're not useful. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like they keep doing this. I'm like, you've seen what Disney did just to get X Men. We we all saw it was all over the news. At you least know? Sony was like, all right, we'll rent it out to you. But Fox was like, no, no. They were the dick kid on the playground who wouldn't let you play on the jungle gym because it was mine. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I think at one point they even tried to reason with them, like, well, at least give us Fantastic Four. No. This petulant assholes. 
Yeah, like, well, and you know what made them keep saying no? Because First Class, they asked them around the time First Class came out, and that became a big hit. And so that's when they were like, no, nope. Mm-mm. I want to be mad about that, but First Class is a really good movie. <laughs> I know, First Class, and I did like Days of Future Past. Yeah. There, I'm actually like really mixed because a part of me is like, you sure just going into fucking Disney until, because now you got bought and, you know, lost big time. Yeah. But. I also got First Class and Days of Future Past and Logan out of that. And I really like those movies. But we also got X-Men Origins Wolverine and Dark Phoenix and the New Mutants. So it ain't all sunshine. No. And I was going to say Deadpool, but apparently because they want to show that they will play ball. And I guess they also love Ryan Reynolds. Deadpool 3 is still going to be rated R. So there wasn't there's no fear there. No, they'll just launch it through 20th Century Studios. Just, you know, getting the fox out of there. Love it. I really can't wait for the fucking jokes they're going to make in Deadpool 3 about that whole situation because you know Ryan Reynolds will not miss his chance. Oh, he's going to have cameos up the ass. There's going to be like, you know, Chris Evans is going to pop in. Like, it's going to be crazy shit. I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait. I love the Deadpool movies. Oh, well, that was fun. Um... Before we get into Wrath of Man, let's talk a little bit about Guy Ritchie and Jason Statham. They kind of came up together. Statham was in Guy Ritchie's debut film, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels from 98. Uh, He plays Bacon, this street hustler who's friends with these three other guys who decide to pull their money to buy into a card game. It's a very good movie. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's very good. Um, It showcases... You know, Richie, uh, Guy Richie's style, mm-hmm. big time that I'd become known for. And it, and I, and really with this and the other, his, the other film, Snatch, I will talk about, it showcased, and what I like about their, when they work together, a different side of Stalin that we don't always get to see. Um, you know, usually he's the action star, right? He's a big action star. So you see him fight and look menacing and be stoic. In this movie, he has a lot more personality. He's a lot more witty with his dialogue. He actually doesn't fight anyone. There's at no point does he fight anyone. And it's nice. It, it's actually nice to see a Statham doing, giving us something different, especially because it was like, I think his first big movie. Yeah, he was a, a street hustler, Statham, um, in London that he sold Guy Ritchie a fake watch. And Guy Ritchie realized it went back and like tried to get his money back and Statham like tried to talk his way out of it. And Guy Ritchie saw something in this kid and was like, Hey, I'm going to, you want to be in a movie? And that's how, that's why we have Jason Statham. (laughs) Makes sense. That's fantastic. And his character in this movie very much, you know, we introduced, we're introduced to him, you know, selling used, you know, worthless shit on the side of the road. That's what he's doing when we first meet this guy. It's, it's great. You know, Richie's known for like quick cuts, out of sequence storytelling, quick witty dialogue, and larger than life, but still kind of grounded characters. And he's at his best when he gets free reign to do things his way. We've seen subdued Statham, like he did the Aladdin remake, which I'll never understand why he did that. And Wait, stay them or Richie? I think mean, you said stay them. Oh, I mean, St- Richie did that. Yeah, not stay them. My bad. I was right. That would be awesome. <laughs> you should get him to play like the genie or something just to see how that goes. Oh my God. That would have been beautiful. <laughs> that would have been amazing. 
You know what would have been? You know what I would have done if if I was in charge of Hollywood? I would have done all the marketing as Will Smith, but then the movie itself, it would have been Jason Statham. <laughs> With his British accent still. <laughs> and not even blue, just like Jason Statham himself, like walking up out of like, you know, Aladdin rubs the lamp, Statham like walks into frames like, what you want? Like, what do you want? Like, I can't do it. But, you know, Statham, that would be beautiful. Oh, that would have been amazing. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I wonder when Marvel's going to scoop him up. I'm surprised they haven't yet. Well, now he has the Fast and Furious commitments, whatever. <laughs> Does he though? Because I feel like Diesel's kind of, you know, doing like pull, pushing out anyone who's a threat to him. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. And now that the Hobson Shaw is supposed to be getting a sequel, he might be pushing Salem out, which I'm okay with because I love Salem and the Rock together. But that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. John um, Cena's days are numbered in this franchise because people love him. <laughs> oh, that's true. Maybe Vin Diesel needs to stop hiring wrestlers turned actors that we love. <laughs> but uh, no, it's yeah. A, yeah. Uh, Guy Ritchie, I love it when he does his own thing. Um, this uh, Lockstock, Snatch, and more, most recently The Gentleman, mm-hmm. when he does his own thing, he excels. Um, yeah, I think when he is having to play by studio rules, it becomes 50 50 for every, like, to me, Sherlock Holmes. Movies we get that I thought he was able to incorporate a style, but still give us a good Sherlock Holmes movie. We get some choice like Aladdin or King Arthur. And oh just, shit! I forgot about that one. Yeah, I sat through that in theaters. Uh, you know, we get something like that where it's like, all right, this isn't. I don't like this as much. But he is not a waning star because the gentleman to me is his masterpiece. That movie was flawless it was hilarious it was smart it was witty it was crazy so i like i know he can still do it and i i was expecting wrath of man to be in that same boat but this very much feels like a work for hire it does it yeah it didn't feel like the trailer made it seem like we were going to get that richie style that i was like really excited for and then the actual movie did not feel like that but it made sense when i saw it pop up on the screen based on the 2004 french i was like oh fuck yeah, like, you guys kept that conveniently fucking hidden. Um, they really did. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think he's waning at all. Uh, because like you, you know, the chairman was showed that no, if you if you give him, let him have free reign and do what he wants, he still has it. He still got it. And because I I loved the gentleman, it had everything I expected from the storytelling device he likes to use, the larger than life but still grounded characters. Um, he even got, you know, a lot of his mainstays to come back while incorporating newer people that he hasn't really worked with, like McConaughey, Charlie Hunnam, you know, getting a lot of those guys in on it. And I liked it. I really liked the gentleman. Yeah, that was my favorite film of the of 2020. When we, um, Austin and I, to, to start this podcast, did our top 10 films of 2020, and the gentleman was my number one pick. It was, yeah, I, I saw it in January and thought, this is going to be a great year for movies. And uh yeah. Apparently, you know, the fucking god of pestilence heard that and was like, oh, fuck you, and didn't happen. <laughs> but, um, it, yeah, I love that movie. I bought it immediately. I watch it all the time. It's a 10. It's become one of my favorites. But Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. But in between Lockstock and The Gentleman, we have Snatch, the film that kind of put Guy Ritchie on the map, gave him, you know, 
a voice in Hollywood. And Snatch is is great. Snatch is just so off the wall, perfect. It's it's kind of the quintessential Guy Ritchie movie. Like if you want to yeah. know who this guy is and what he's about, watch Snatch. Well, it feels like he took everything that worked about Lockstock and then the many of the few elements that didn't, took those out and then took everything that did work and just refined it into an even more focused and to me better movie with Snatch. Like it's pretty much like he said, okay, this was what I really get at. I want to refine it more for this movie and it worked completely. It really does. It's, you know, a lot, he gets a lot of good names in that film. He's got, you know, crazy gangster shit, random stories kind of happening on, you know, alongside each other and then converging into a larger narrative, very much like Lockstock and the gentleman. Yeah. And, and he, he's just, he again brings Stalem back, who again shows us he can do stuff outside of kicking ass. Turkish. <laughs> Turkish, who I don't know why my favorite moment to this day, which features Brad Pitt, who was somehow really good in this movie. <laughs> when they're trying to make the deal, he's just like, let me talk to my associate. And they turn around. Did you understand a fucking word that just came out of his mouth? <laughs> oh my God. The fact that Brad Pitt plays a Irish, um, like tr- transient, I don't want to say, fuck it, a gypsy, a, a pikey as they're called. And um, the fact that he mumbles his way through Irish and it works. Like you don't question it for a second. He's he's so committed to just mumbling his way through this performance, and it, it's it's fantastic. You know, one punch Mickey, it it works. Yeah, it works, and it, when it helps that you have all the characters also going, "What the fuck did you just say?" Like they're playing into it of like, yeah, we know you don't know a fucking thing coming out of his mouth. <laughs> so that helped a lot too. Those that end joke of like, yeah, we don't. What what, what are you saying? <laughs> I don't, for me, it's Turkish just constantly, you know, talking about the Germans. That that little bit of, of dialogue just always makes me laugh. And I've incorporated incorporated it into my uh, my vernacular. Well, maybe you can go talk to the Zid Germans later. <laughs> well, come on then, before the Germans get here. It's not the Germans, it's the Germans. It's the way he says it. it yeah. <laughs> then you got, you know, this crazy psycho villain in Bricktop. Uh, played by Alan Ford, who just soars into this performance of a fucking unhinged crazy bastard. <laughs> he, he is phenomenal in this movie. Yeah. And then, God. you know, alongside that, you got Benicio Del Toro and Lenny James like, giving it their all. It's, yeah. it's so good. There's so many people in this just kind of popping in and out. You got uh, Vinnie Jones, who I loved in this movie, the whole pub scene. I can see your balls are starting to shrink now. <laughs> Damn, it's bonkers. And then when he keeps trying to kill the Russian guy, just, oh, fuck me. <laughs> Dennis Farina, just, you know, this Chicago gangster, like the fact that he's, I love it. Uh, when he would you like, would you goes like to, to make see Dug man? the head and he's just like, sit up, like, shut up and sit down, you big bald fuck. Like, it's, I love that line. He's, like he's off guys like, fucking rocker. I like when the guy's like, would you like to make any statements? Yeah, don't go to fucking London. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Perfect. I do want to, before we move on, I do want to go back to Lockstock for a second. 
the scene where they're walking into this into the pub and the guy is on fire walking out and they just kind of don't even acknowledge it they just keep walking <laughs> like this is just regular shit to them i oh my god it's guy richie has got this you know this this it factor about him that he like most of his films don't feel like anybody else's films the one i've been really tr- trying to watch is uh rock and roller it's like the only one of his i haven't watched yet uh, have you seen that I have not. I heard, when I was doing like my research and stuff for this, it, I did see it pop up because I remember a buddy of mine brought it up because apparently Tom Hardy's in it. Yeah, it's one of his early roles. I think Gerard yeah. Butler, a couple Gerard of Butler. Movies. I think he's like a main character actually in the movie. Yeah. So it's it's something I would like to check out. I like the cast I saw attached to it. Apparently, it has like a huge cult following now. So absolutely. Uh, forgot he did the Man from Uncle. I forgot that movie even existed if i'm honest with you <laughs> i only remembered it because my cousin miles is obsessed with that movie for some reason it's because of army hammer I, oh I, I i hope not because he's not going to get a lot more of those uh oh, i don't know God, i forgot there's so many of those guys going down that i forget who it is who it is nowadays you see john barrowman got um called out for exposing himself on the set of doctor who no. Yeah, he had to come out and apologize for for that. No. So, yep. Not, not Malcolm Merlin. With him though, I feel like it's more of a like wacky trying to be funny kind of thing as opposed to assault. But you know, I've been wrong before. <laughs> so, I don't want to make any declarations. I'll stick to generalizations. <sighs> yeah, god damn it. But yeah, Guy Ritchie's a great filmmaker. Uh, he's got one. Ooh, the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare has been announced. I think that was the. I think that's another team up with Statham. He's doing sweet. So yeah, he's constantly you know working. He's a great filmmaker. Uh, there was a TV show based on Snatch that came out. I forgot about that. Hmm, I don't even know about that. Yeah, it was a. Uh, it's ongoing. Uh, it's in its second season. Oh, it's on Crackle. Never mind. It's not That's ongoing. Our, yep. All right. <laughs> Never mind. Let's get to the real. Let's let's talk serious let's, stuff here. Let's, let's talk serious stuff like Statham. Crackle. Bring that shit in here. Um, <laughs> uh. Has Sony made a good business decision like at all in the past 20, 30 years? PlayStation. All right. Touche. I'll give them the PlayStation. It's like, how dare you? I've had a PlayStation since I've been a child. I meant like Sony Studios. Like, oh, no. No, I got nothing. Sony, the company, makes great equipment, but I'm talking like the film studio. Never mind. (laughs) Gotcha. Oh boy. Um, so of, you know, between Guy Ritchie and Statham, what they've done, Wrath of Man, it's, I don't think it measures up. It's, it's pretty generic and doesn't really bring anything to the table. doesn't feel like Ritchie for some reason, he completely abandons his style. It, at times it felt like he was trying to get in, give into his style, but then held it back. Cause the names, if you notice these characters have fucking weird ass names. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and 
yeah like h and bullet and like so they're playing he's playing so that naming of characters he likes to play into but then doesn't really do much with it yeah um another thing big a big thing for me is like i brought up right with snatch and lock because that th- with their collaboration what i liked about it was that you got a different side of statham now i understand that when he did it that was before statham was who he was you know yeah. since then actually went on to become a humongous action star you know how much i love him i know you're a big fan yeah you know i will never deny seeing jason Stam go on the screen kicking ass um with that said though i was hoping that when this when they decided to team up again after all these years right that hey we'll see a different side of Statham. we'll get that what richie can pull out of him that it seems like other directors can't instead i got exactly what i expect from Statham, like the exact performance i am used to seeing yeah same here yeah i was i was underwhelmed i was you know i was not expecting meh i was hoping for something you know a wild and crazy action gangster thriller like richie and statham have done in the past and i know they're both not burned out they're both you know huge commodities right now so i don't know what 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 the problem was like what happened here I, I don't know. And what's even weirder to me is that how much of this had did they have to do and not want to do? Because like I said, uh, when I was looking it up, in, immediately the, the, both those guys are working on their new collaboration together already. So yeah. did they have to do this to do what they actually wanted to do? Oh, maybe this was like their, their penance. Oh, that sucks. Because if that's the case, really like after like almost two decades and you guys team up again this is what you gave me yeah like i would have waited longer for an actual like what i wanted like i was expecting essentially like the gentleman type of thing yeah but i would stay them which would have been badass as fuck well you see you know the phrase a film by guy Ritchie, and because of the films he's done you 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 form certain expectations you think like this is the kind of film i'm about to see i'm about to have a good time but honestly i feel like anybody could have directed this like why is guy Ritchie here like give this to any joe schmo producer who wants to be a filmmaker yeah and the thing is too like what's to me says that it's a well-acted movie it's a well-made movie yeah it's just like it doesn't feel like a guy Ritchie movie much less one that is a return to a collaboration that we haven't seen in a long time yeah and even then like Statham he actually doesn't do a whole lot of like ass kicking in the movie. Like, yeah, he has a couple of scenes where he's like a really good shot, especially against post Malone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was wondering when that was going to be brought up. The fuck, why was post Malone here? (laughs) Just to tell Salem to suck my fucking cock, which that, okay. I need to kind of like that part when he was like, suck my, what'd you say? I said, suck my fucking cock, suck your own cock. And just shoots him. Oh my god! Yeah, there were some moments of levity, but it was a fairly dark movie. Um, and I thought Statham was going to have more opportunities to kind of let loose and be a little nuts. I mean, I love the idea of a crime boss who is so feared that his own people like see him and are like, "Jobs off, go home." <laughs> like, just a feared man. The FBI gives him like free reign to t- kill his enemies. Like that's an interesting story, you know, hunting down the guys who killed his son who end up being soldiers. Like there's a lot there. 
for something yeah. really, really cool. And I just I feel like it was not used to its full potential. Well, and then that's another issue. So they had like the two different heists, right? Or the two different heist moments when like, you know, put the Post Malone one and then the one with his own guys. And they never revisit when they do the whole backstory why that was even happening. Because it's not really established that that's a job, but, you know, it is established as what his guys do. But they know what their boss is doing. So why are they still... Mm. They don't know. Remember, because he told them he was going back to London. Oh, yeah. And then he got the fake documents from that lady and then went in to do his own shit. So they didn't know he was still in town. Like, less, like... And why would they think he's, you know, working for an armored truck company? That's true. Mm-hmm. They I definitely think... shit. Yeah. They definitely shit themselves when they saw him, though. That was great. Uh, so let's talk a bit about the cast before we get deeper into the movie. Uh, Wrath of Man is a remake of the 2004 French film Cash Truck, which stars Oscar winner Jean Dujardin, among others. Uh, I don't know if it follows the same plot, and I don't really care to find out. <laughs> Apart from Statham, the film also stars Holt McCallany as Bullet, who many may recognize as FBI agent Bill Tench from Netflix's Mindhunter. Season three. I did not expect to see him. That was cool. That was cool, but give me season three, you motherfuckers. Did you like immediately think like, oh, he's obviously the inside man? No, actually, I didn't. I was like, it's clear. I I actually thought it was someone else. Who do you think it was? Uh, Hartnett, Josh Hartnett. Nah, he was too much of a bitch. Bullet just had this, like, I've been around the block a few times and I'm ready to fuck this place over kind of vibe. And it was just, yeah. it seemed fairly obvious to me because like, he's the only one who was getting any kind of, you know, story attention. They were kind of building him up as a, you know, a kind of a Bond thing. I don't know, it just felt like the reveal could have been a little bit more, you know, surprising. But yeah, it, whatever. Yeah. It could have been still cool to see, you know, Bill Tench. Well, I love Mindhunter. I, I want it back. I want it back so bad. I want season three so fucking bad. <laughs> I want to see these guys go up against BTK. I want to see them talk to Bundy. Like, I want to see this happen. Uh, How cool would it be if in season three they get Zach Efron to play Bundy? How cool would that be? He's already, you know, Extremely Wicked was a Netflix production. He's got an in. Like, they could do that. Oh, they could do it. I would be so down. Kind of like how they got the the guy from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to play Manson. So it's not crazy. They got to play Manson? Yeah. Ooh. (laughs) Here's open. I hope those talks between Netflix and Fincher that are going right now are fucking fruitful. Oh, yeah. Josh Hartnett plays Boy Sweat Dave. Hartnett was a promising up-and-comer in the early 2000s with appearances in films such as Black Hawk Down, Pearl Harbor, Sin City, Lucky Number Slevin, and 30 Days of Night. But somewhere around 2008, the role started to dry up. He had a lead role on Penny Dreadful, and here he is in Wrath of Man. I used to get him confused with Ethan Hawke quite a bit until I started paying attention. (laughs) But... I feel like he burned some bridges. He just got this vibe of, like, he could have been huge, but he made some poor choices. I don't know what happened with Josh Hart. I feel like he just made poor choices because he's been having this weird, like, comeback where he's doing a bunch of indie stuff. Like, he was on the show on Showtime, uh, Penny Treadful. Yeah. He was on there as a main character. 
and now he's popping up here. And I think he's popping up the next Guy Ritchie film when I saw the cast list for it. So he might be having like a comeback. It could have been he was making some wrong career moves. I remember I liked him when I was like growing up and seeing him some of that stuff. Like I liked him in Halloween H2, I liked him in 30 Days of Night. Um, yeah, I don't, he just disappeared though. I liked Lucky Number 11, but I don't think Pearl Harbor did anybody any favors. No. Um, yeah. Jeffrey Donovan plays Sarge, the leader of the Truck Thieves. Donovan was the star of Burn Notice for seven seasons and also appeared in season two of Fargo. He's also appeared in such films as Sicario, J. Edgar, Let Him Go, Changeling, and Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Jeffrey Donovan, the guy whose stock has risen substantially in the past few years, I keep seeing him in higher profile stuff, which is pretty cool. Yeah. It is cool. I like him. Uh, I've seen episodes of Burners because my mom was a fan. And I came in, having to come in right when, like, you know, uh, Bruce Campbell popped up because he's in the show, too. And I was like, oh, he's in this. And, yeah, so I've seen episodes, and I, I've always liked him. But, yeah, he keeps he's been popping up in bigger and bigger stuff here recently. The big thing I remember him as, um, he played the killer on an episode of Monk. Uh, it was Mr. Monk and the Astronaut. Like he played like a famous astronaut who murdered his wife, like, but he made it, he timed it. So like he was in space at the time, like the perfect alibi, but Monk figured it out. So I remember him as that guy. And uh, then to see him like later on, I'm like, good for you. Good for you. Cause he was a prick in Fargo, like a crazy gangster prick. And he's, he's good. I've seen him play different stuff. So he's, he's good. Yeah, he is really good. Uh, Scott Eastwood plays Jan, the psycho, because every heist movie has a psycho. Eastwood is indeed the son of Oscar-winning director Clint Eastwood, and you can tell those genes are strong. <laughs> They're very strong. It um, looks like fucking Dirty Harry. It's crazy. It is crazy. You know, I heard he apparently they don't really talk to Clint Eastwood all that much. Really? They're, they're estranged? Well, Clint Eastwood, by a lot of his ex-wives, has been described oh. as not being exactly one to get tied down and have a family. So, it, from my understanding, he's not super, super close with a lot of his kids. Well, you know, he never really screamed warm father. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, no, I, I actually thought Scott Eastwood was one of the standouts in this movie. When I should have thought he was a standout. I really liked him. Yeah. He's not, he's not bad. For what the character was, he, he, was, he, was, he wasn't bad. Eastwood has appeared in such films as Suicide Squad, The Fate of the Furious, Pacific Rim Uprising, Snowden, and Texas Chainsaw. And I'm wondering how much of this success is due to having the name Eastwood. <laughs> For someone who's not that close to his dad, he's certainly taking advantage of the name. <laughs> well, and this is why I say I like him on this, because all those films I have seen, and he is one of the most bland fucking people <laughs> I've seen in film. But here, seeing him play crazy, it's like he's actually trying finally. And I'm like, ah, here we go, Scotty. Well, you know, people have been saying that, like, Stephen King based the character of Roland the Gunslinger off of Clint Eastwood's, like, Man With No Name trilogy. And people said, like, you know, 80s Clint Eastwood would have been a great choice for Roland. And now I'm thinking, well, here's, you know, Scott Eastwood. He's got the look. Maybe a little bit more experience, and he could. Yeah, I think he'd be a great Roland. 
he would if we ever get an actual adaptation. Last I heard, the Amazon show got canceled already. Yeah, but that Amazon show was like a prequel about like young Roland, and it was like it was only going to be the fourth book. So well, like, technically, the comic series as well, which is the prequel to the main books. As the point is, we know they know what we want. <laughs> they there's a whole seven book franchise right there that we want, but they keep trying to dick around with us. And I don't know why, like, just do that for fuck's sake. Just do that. It really makes me mad. And they get such good talent involved. Like when they got McConaughey involved with the movie, I was like, Oh, okay, cool. McConaughey. Then I watched the movie and I went, Oh, Oh God. Idris Elba with the right script could have been a great Roland, but they turned him into some kind of like bland superhero who didn't give a fuck about the tower, which is his whole motivation the whole point is all he cares about is the tower like oh my god it's all he cares about and then like how do you one of the most iconic lines in all of literature the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed you didn't even put that on film like you didn't you didn't have him run didn't show me it didn't have it fucking plastered on the screen or anything like God damn it. You can't even get like that little detail correct. And then you PG-13 the movie. <laughs> oh, my sweet Lord. That oh, I'm hoping in, in my lifetime we get a proper big budget, like HBO style series of the Dark Tower. And we just, you know, they do it right. They give it as much as they need. They give it a Game of Thrones level budget. They get the right people behind it. They get a great cast and we have it. That's shit on that last seat. I'm kidding. Uh, I don't know. The book itself will kind of take care of that. <laughs> it's not a very, you know, re- renowned ending. It's uh, it's not. Although I got to say, I thought it, I liked it. I thought the idea that he's done this many times was like deflating, but also kind of brilliant. Like, yeah, like, I, it's, it grew on me. At first I was like, that's it. But then like, I'm like, you know what? It's, that it kind of grows on you like you it makes sense on why he's so obsessed because he's literally doing this to himself does actually like it really plays into the theme of the overall series really well that ending yeah and some will say you know king rushed the ending because he almost died but to rush the ending and still give us like a 1200 page book is is yeah that's king that's his rush ending <laughs> he also rushed the ending by like essentially writing three books in succession to the series that's what people seem to forget too is like it wasn't no it wasn't just like one book he had four of them out almost died and then immediately started rushing on those last three it's you know i'm surprised he hasn't fought harder for that that yeah it like I know right now he keeps he's getting like good directors and scripts and stuff now currently for the most part. But like God, I just I really want to talk tower. Well, I mean, I feel like when the movie came out, he was just content to like cash the check and let them PG 13 buy his greatest story. So like what why like come on, Steve, 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 Stevie boy, come on. I'm tired of people dicking around with the dark tower. Yes. Me too, man. I'm tired of this shit. If I like die by the time they finally come up with a fucking good adaptation, I'm haunting the people involved. (laughs) 
Yeah, right there with you. Oh, well, that was a fun tangent. Um, Oscar nominee Andy Garcia plays Agent King, the FBI agent in charge, gives H free reign to destroy his enemies. Would have loved to have seen more of that story. Uh, yeah, very Garcia. underutilized. Yeah. Garcia was nominated for his performance in 1990's The Godfather Part 3 and has appeared in such films as The Untouchables, Black Rain, and The Oceans Trilogy. And why put him in this if you're not going to utilize a really interesting angle of a FBI agent letting a feared crime boss do whatever the fuck he wants? Like, that's, I, you know, it's Whitey Bulger. Why don't you use that? It is the most useless thing because you have that scene where the FBI agents are calling him going, hey, we ha- we found him. It's this guy. Like, indicating we finally find this fucking crime boss. And he's like, nope, leave him alone. Let him do his thing. Which never really gets, like, touched on. Like, those FBI agents disappear. And I thought that would have been a cool anger to have that get introduced, but whatever. Especially since Guy Ritchie's known for juggling multiple storylines that connect in the end. Like, why? You have it right there, but you don't use it. And that's what I'm saying. There's so many moments where, like, you can tell it's like he's teasing us with his style and then immediately holding it back. I'm like, no, give me your style. I want your style why i'm here <laughs> i went i heard i saw the trailer it said a guy richie movie and jason Statham as your star i came here for a reason i paid nine dollars a ticket and fifteen dollars for a half decent cheesesteak for this <laughs> actually it wasn't bad it was just pricey i like my theater but fuck <laughs> um Wrath of Man has an IMDb score of 7.5, Rotten Tomatoes score of 66%. It's getting pretty mixed reviews, and it's available to see exclusively in theaters. And uh, those scores kind of make sense. 66, yeah, that makes sense. Um, So let's talk about some highlights or some low lights, if you want to call them that. Um, Eddie Marson, I thought, was underused as, like, the boss of this company. (laughs) Yeah. I love that he's become part of Guy Ritchie's inner circle ever since Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, I did like how he kept like overruling anything <laughs> the boss was trying to say. He means to thank you for doing a good job <laughs> and to promote you immediately. Well, when he turned to Bullet and he's like, I just, I think he might be a psychopath. <laughs> just little stuff like that was, yeah, makes it cold, unfeeling, crazy man murdered six people and was like, fine with it. <laughs> Everyone kind of just shrugged that off. Like, it's not a giant red flag. Yeah, I like how they're just looking at him when he shoots Post Malone. He just keeps walking like, all right, let's let's go back. And and again, Post Malone. Like, (laughs) why? I I was, it took me a second. Like, wait a minute. that That's that guy. Like, I don't listen to his music, but I know his face. And (laughs) I don't know. Maybe he just wanted to be in a a movie. Sure. Uh, no, I, I did like. Uh, there was moments I liked in this film, like uh, when they go to the, uh, the, the crime lord that I guess was running the smut films of oh. underage doors. Yeah, that and, was brutal. And they, yeah, and like not what they were doing, but like when they go to the stadium, like, hey, boss, it's not them. This is way below their pay grade. What do you want to do now? He goes, all right, and like he grabs a dude gun. And then just start shooting all of them as he's walking out. 
that was a cool little like Jason Statham moment that I enjoyed. And then he gives all the money the, to the girls and says, send him home. Yeah. Like, he's turning into like a vigilante. <laughs> he's a crime boss, but he has a line. Like, this we don't do. Yeah. And you don't kill my son. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Did the introduction to the thieves seem a little forced to you? Like, all of a sudden, we're just like, okay, here are the bad guys. And there's yeah. no explanation of who these guys are. We just kind of have to figure it out as we go along. Yeah, it, like, it jumps back and immediately jumps into these guys without any context, which usually works, but it didn't really work for me here. At first, I was like, all right, here are these guys. I think, you know, establish that a little earlier. Give us, you know, some context on who these guys are, and then we'll care. Because I was more yeah. like, get back to Statham. Like, that's the story I'm paying attention to. Right. And then it, and then I think also, like, with the two heist scenes before the big one we see, right, with the Post Malone and his own people, they felt like I didn't really need those. Like, they, it was almost like they were like, hey, we don't have anything going on this movie. Let's throw this in here. Especially since Bullet is, you know, an inside man and giving his crew, like, inside scoop on, you know, heists. There's just two random other heists that happen with his truck. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, the whole time they were doing the backstory, I thought, okay, they'll explain those two heists then. Like, how do whatever series of currents, again, me and a guy Richie from thinking, like, with his own people, that's a whole storyline that would have been awesome to see, like, them accidentally fucking pull a heist on their boss's truck. But we get no explanation, no backstory on any of that. Which again, it any other film probably would have been okay, but it being Guy Ritchie film, like, huh? Because he's so good about us knowing everything throughout that mo- the runtime. Well, and the way that they framed, you know, the death of his son made it look like that was the job Statham was like looking out on. And I'm like, so his own people killed his son. Like that's what happened. But no, yeah. they like they made it. They really kind of muddied those waters. They did, which made it really confusing when you do see his team do the heist on his truck he's in and they freak out when they see him. And they're like, oh, it's the boss. Shit. Because you're thinking, oh, so they did it. OK, they fucking did it. And now they're scared because they. That would have been whole... brilliant. That would have been great. Like his own people fucked him over and shit got shit went bad. That would that's great. You don't need these soldiers who are just here because, you know, they're bored. Yeah, it. And that would have it would have made more sense, especially with that scene. Instead, it's like a comic. It's, it ends up being what should have been a comically like a comical scene that you don't really get until later, like when the jokes are way over, the punchline's done. Yeah. So it's like, all right, well, I guess. So yeah, it's really like it's it's just awkward. It's an awkward tra- transition to that. And like I said, it seems like Scott Eastwood's the only one attempting. To give us like the kind of guy Richie performances we like, yeah. I guess that's probably why he stood out to me so much. He's the only one seeming to fucking try here. <laughs> you, maybe you can help clear something up for me. So, uh, during the course of this movie, I had three Arnold Palmers. So I really had to piss towards the end of this thing, and I was really trying to make it to the end of the movie, but I couldn't do it. And it was right when Statham showed up at Scott Eastwood's apartment. And I was like, 
fuck. And I ran out of the theater, took care of business. I came back right when he was shooting Eastwood in various spots. So what was that conversation? Oh, so <laughs> remember when uh, St- uh, Stalem, I was about to say Stalem for some reason. St- <laughs> That'd be a twist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Rambo shows up, takes care of business. <laughs> and watch it. <laughs> uh, uh, Salem asked for the, the coroner's report. That was on his son and where his son has, the bullets has specifically hit. Oh. So when he gets him in his apartment, he tells him, he makes him read it. Like he throws it at him and goes, read it as he has a gun to him. And he reads it and he's like, what? And he goes, in, simplic- in simple terms, you shot my son in the spleen, lung, heart, and there was a fourth one that I'm not remembering off the top of my head. Liver. liver. Yeah, he's like, so what I'm going to do to you is shoot you in the liver and then shoots him in the liver and proceeds to shoot him exactly where he shot his son. Okay. I, I walked back in right when they like right when he was shooting Scott Eastwood. Yeah. I was a little bit like I was pissed that I missed the final monologue because I really had to go. It's so actually a pretty cool monologue. Yeah. Damn shame. <laughs> but uh, kind of an abrupt ending, kind of a predictable movie, really. Like I was I was waiting for like the you know some kind of big game changer, but nothing really happened. Nothing. And again, they tease us by Andy Garcia and that was it. He just gets his half of the money that I guess was promised him. Yep. And then that's it. Uh, can we talk about like the amount of times that Salem gets shot in this movie and just keeps on going? <laughs> <laughs> At least the first time he gets medical attention, but the second time he gets like fucking ripped to shreds by a semi-automatic weapon and then just limps his way to Scott Eastwood's apartment. <laughs> when that happened, I was like, Man, it really takes a lot to take this guy down, doesn't it? Vengeance is a strong motivator. I like maybe he was wearing body armor. He's just so ripped that his own body rejects bullets. <laughs> he has so much hate in him; he won't, he can't die. <laughs> I buy it. I buy that. For, yeah, <laughs> I thought the heist scene at the depot. Like they had planned it out so well, but that was some sloppy shit. Like it got was, really, really sloppy. That was the plan, and then all of the the uh, armored car guys gunned down unceremoniously with not even like a moment to care about it. Everyone, why is Josh Hartnett here? If you're just gonna shoot him in the fucking head? Yeah, he got shot a lot too. I should point out, and then finally dies. And then <laughs> I actually got mad when that one guy they're hiding in the van. And he's like, no, I'm going to take him out. I'm like, look, I'm all about like, look, I get it. You want to be a hero. But I think in this case, the best thing you need to do is shut that van door and just stay put. Yep. And like, what was the point with him, like Statham hooking up with the girl and then like threatening her over the money? Like that never went anywhere. Yeah. At first I was like, oh, maybe she was like in on it. Again, thinking it's an inside job of some kind where it'd be his crew or uh um the company which i mean it kind of did go on that route i guess but yeah it goes nowhere with her it's just like one quick scene like what was it in Statham's contract that you had to like fuck have a have a non-scene sex scene like was that probably in the contract so they just had to work around it 
what I would have done to like fix that is I would have kept that scene, but then I would have had her be like the inside man for like post Malone's crew or something. And had it be like multiple heists happening at once. And then everything went to fuck, you know? Yeah. That sounds like what should have been a guy Ritchie movie. Yeah, exactly. And nobody ends up with the money because that's how it always works. Every time. I think also like for a movie that was whose title is called Wrath of Men, right? Like, and the idea was that you're seeing someone who lost the last thing you had to live for and is going fucking crazy. It doesn't really deliver. Like, if you're going with a title like that and that kind of theme, I'm I'm, I'm sorry, we live in a post John Wick ward. <laughs> <laughs> you don't fucking promise me a title like that and that kind of plot, and then it's just. I'm going to go undercover and just wait until I find out. Like, no, look, if John Wick can go off on a fucking rampage for three movies, about to be five over a dog. I expect nothing less over your son, buddy. Why did he even stop the, the post balloon heist? He had no stake in that whatsoever. Like, I don't. No, and then he has like well, when he also has the big moment with that crime lord where he's like, I can do in two weeks what you can do in 20 years. It took him almost like three months. And also, what like all like the FBI couldn't take out like some like five thugs who were robbing armored trucks? Like that's what you want. You you let this crime lord do whatever the fuck he wants just to catch those guys. It, and not only that, he doesn't do anything that makes me go like, oh shit, he is dangerous. You know, like there's nothing shown by Statham, which is really shocking because again, you're going into his persona as a star, but still kind of holding back on that and not showing me what he means by I can do it in two weeks, what you do in 20 years, why he's such a feared fucking boss. Yeah. And again, the whole goddamn title of the movie, Wrath of Man. Like, like, I'm seeing none of it. John Wick toyed with that same thing. You know, everybody's afraid of him. Why? But that movie showed you why. It told you why. You believed it. This movie just tells you and expects you to roll with it. And that's not how it works anymore. It's so shocking because in the case of, like, John Wick, you had that movie was, like, it had to, in my opinion, show you because it was Kanye Reeves. Yeah, Kanye Reeves is an action. He is, I would consider him an action star to an extent. But he also, before that movie came out, had a really rough patch in his career. So it was like, it was a good thing they showed us because it was like, oh shit, yeah, he can. This is man to be feared. I know that as an audience, we are aware of Jason Statham's ass-kicking abilities. We have seen it on screen multiple times. But I don't care about the past movies when I'm seeing his new movie. Yeah. What I care about is what this movie is going to give me. And it did not give me damn near anything I would want from fucking Jason Statham. That's a, that's a bummer. I'm I'm with you, man. I do you think it was weird the like this was in the trailer too the weird kind of remix of Johnny Cash's Folsom Prison Blues that they used. I did. I remember. I actually didn't mind it because again, it's Guy Ritchie having fun with music, which is something we didn't really talk about a lot. But he does he does really good with music in Lock, Stock, and Snatch. Yeah, and he goes like fucking ham on the James Brown and Lockstock. I was very happy. <laughs> so, you know, he's usually really good at music. And to me, it got me excited. So I thought, okay, there's that like Richie playing, playing music and having fun with it. And it worked for the trailer. 
Yeah. But then you watch the movie and I don't really, there's no musical moments that stood out to me other than having Post Malone star in it. <laughs> but no Post Malone song. <laughs> Music died with Post Malone. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a it's such an odd finished product from these guys. I just I feel like this could have been like a it's got a vibe of like a direct to video Steven Seagal thriller. Like anybody Statham is doesn't need to be here. Guy Ritchie doesn't need to be here. You throw anybody into this role and it works. Yeah, I agree. I I I'm really wondering because of how quick they are already working on their next film together. How much of this was like, hey, we have to do this if you need if you want to get this one made. I I think that, you know, I think you're onto something there. I think this movie is a, you know, the studio said, I'll let you make your weird movie if you make this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet you that's exactly what happened. Yeah, because I, I looked at, I forget the title of the movie, but I looked, I was, when I was looking up Wrath of Man, it was before it was released. And it was like, yeah, Guy Richards already filming his next movie with Jason Statham and he has Josh Hart in it. Like the cast list is stacked and it's like already happening. So I'm like, okay, he had, yeah, this had to be like what you said. So he was like, look, we'll give you your movie. You have to do one for us though. Um, Oh, it's just untitled Guy Ritchie film. It doesn't have a name, but it has a, a plot. An agent is recruited by a global intelligence alliance to track down and stop the sale of a deadly weapons technology that threatens to disrupt the world order. All right. Guy Ritchie's going global. Oh, yeah, Guy Ritchie. Pretty sweet. I mean, that sounds pretty much like every Mission Impossible movie. But hopefully he'll throw some flair on this one. And it also says here that he has a gentleman TV series in pre-production. Is that like the sign that you need to know his movie's really good? Because Lockstock had a TV series called Lockstock. Now Snatch has one on Crackle. (laughs) And now we have a a gentleman TV series. Is that like the sign of a good... (laughs) That's a very good point. This is going to (laughs) suck. God, oh. There's so many, like, has there been any good mo- like show based off of a movie? Like, anything that lasted? I will say, okay, well, let's define lasted and good, because there's ones that have lasted. <laughs> and then there's the few that have been good, like Ash vs. Evil Dead. Okay, that doesn't, I don't count continuations. I'm talking straight up remake. Oh, straight up remakes? Yeah. I was like, if you're, yeah, we gotta define, because those like, ones that are lasting, like, like Lethal guy. Weapon or Rush Hour or like that shit. Oh, yeah. No, not that. Because Lethal Weapon got canceled. But that was, so they had they had some weird production issues on that show. All right. Let's drop Lasted and go and just cover good. <laughs> Anything good that happened. What we do. Oh, no, that's a continuation. The only thing I can think of is Hannibal. That's the only one coming to mind. Because, yeah, I tried Bates Motel, and the only reason I can never finish it is because they have the weird drug subplot that kind of takes away from the Bates Motel part of it, but whatever. It's It just screams lazy. Like, think up your own shit. Stop taking credit for other people's success. 
I give Rap <sighs> Man a seven. It just feels pretty generic. Lax guy, Richie signature flair. And it's got its moments, but I don't think I'm going to probably go back to this. Yeah, I I agree with you on the score. I give it a seven. I think it is well acted. It's a well made film on a technical level, mm-hmm. but this is not like it doesn't feel like a guy Ritchie film. It's a really disappointing collaboration between the two compared to the first two we got out of them, and they haven't done one in like decades. So this return was disappointing. Um, you know, did not give me something different from Stalem, gave me exactly what I expect, and actually kind of less than what I expect from Stalem. Almost yeah. none of Richie's style. So it yeah, I don't see myself revisiting this one nearly as much as some other of both of their works as I do. Yep. Well said. Well, sorry the movie wasn't too great this week, but that's not really up to us, is it? <laughs> uh, hopefully. The big one I'm excited for next week lives up to it. Next week is going to be insane. The big release is Spiral, the new Saw movie from Chris Rock. That's finally getting a theater release after a COVID postponement. Uh, so excited. My Saw shirt is at the ready. We're both huge Saw fans. have been anxiously anticipating this movie, and we're so excited. <laughs> Um, in addition, The Woman in the Window launches on Netflix, along with Oxygen. Profile drops into theaters, and Those Who Wish Me Dead drops into theaters in HBO Max. It's a big week. I'm going to try and see all of these, but you can bet your ass will be focusing on Spiral next Monday for sure. Yeah, my big one, Spiral. Profile looks good. I'm, I am going to try to get to see a theater near me play it. And uh, just because I like Yellowstone, Those Who Wish Me Dead is my third one. Yeah, I think Taylor Sheridan's a great writer. I loved Hell or High Water. Oh, um, he did Hell or High Water? Yeah. Oh, I love that movie. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a talented writer. And um, I'm excited. I'm just not a big Angelina Jolie fan, so I'm not too jazzed about Those Who Wish Me Dead. I'm ex- it's, hmm? it's, it's like you. It's mainly uh, Taylor Sheridan. He's really good at making what I consider to be modern westerns. Yeah. Like, I can see that, yeah. Yeah, like between Hell High Water, what I've seen of um, Yellowstone, and what hopefully this upcoming one will be, he knows how to make a hell of a movie that feels like a modern Western. Yes, he does. I'm looking him up, I know he was, um, he, as an actor, had a role in the first couple seasons of Sons of Anarchy. Oh, uh, shit. And then, oh, shit, I knew it. He wrote Sicario. <laughs> oh, Again, you could apply the modern restaurant to that one as well. Yeah. Dude's a fucking hell of a screenwriter. So, yeah, I think he, Those Who Wish Me Dead is going to be interesting. Yeah. I mainly will be on HBO Max if I do get around to it. So, that one I won't. I know I've been big about like supporting the theaters, but if I can get tickets to Spire on Profile, Wish Me Dead will end up being on HBO Max. The Woman in the Window, I'm psyched about because that was another one that got postponed. That was supposed to come out last year, but then it got took, taken off the calendar and then Netflix bought it. Uh, it looks like a straight up remake of Rear Window. It's mm. Amy Adams but and Gary Oldman. So I'm going to be there. <laughs> yeah, I will say uh, it, the, the actual plot doesn't seem like it'll be anything revolutionary, but I do like the cast they got attached to it. So mm. I'll try to get around that one, but mainly it's not high up on my list. Yeah. 
And then Oxygen just looks like an interesting thriller with uh, Melanie Laurent. So I, I'm more interested in that because of the director attached. Right on. It's uh, The Hills Have Eyes. Oh, and yeah. On a 3D and um, Crawl. Alexandre Aja, right? Or Aja. Aja, like that. Yeah. Good for him. Hopefully, you know, this one, another feather in his cap. It's a big week. I like when there's a lot of, you know, I'm trying to see as much as I can. So when there's a lot this week, I'm like, ooh, it'll be a fun weekend. Mm. So on Wednesday's Filmgasm, we'll be diving into Saw 2. Um, Oscar Sunday is going to be a Lord of the Rings trilogy extravaganza. And there will not be an episode of the Giggle Guys on Friday. They're taking a week off for personal reasons, but they'll be back the following Friday to keep making you laugh. Great week, everyone. Keep watching movies.